Father, we're so thankful to be here in thy house in this day. Lord, we're thankful that we have the protection and in many cases the encouragement from our, our government, Lord, to be here and to set aside a, a day to worship thee and to, especially in this season, Lord, to remember the miracle that was wrought and the plan of salvation that began here by sending thy son to this earth. And, and Lord, we're so thankful for that, thankful that we can sing carols and, and hymns to thy honor and glory, Lord, to remind us of that. Thankful that we can hear the children practicing pieces and songs and can be rejoicing in this season. And, and Father, we pray that our minds and our hearts would be turned to your word to see a message that's needful for our hearts. And pray, Lord, that our, our minds could be freed from the distractions that might otherwise beset us and the myriad different details that would try to take our attention, Lord, and that we could focus on thee and on thy word in this day. And so as we would look into it, We'll give thee thanks for it. Lord, pray that you'd be with those who would desire to be with us in this day, be in their midst and give them encouragement and, and, and strength from thy word as well. And, and Father, we pray that as we would all go away from this day, we could say that we were truly blessed to be before thy feet. And so we'll thank thee for in advance and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to turn with me to Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 7. And full disclosure, we're going to read two, two separate passages today um, from Mark and, and from Matthew. Um, <clears throat> I kind of would like to walk with you through an experience I made with these two passages this week. I don't know how often it happens to you that you read something in Scripture and you just kind of raise an eyebrow going, I don't know, that that, that just sounds awkward. That, that does not, I, I can't imagine that's, I can't imagine that my takeaway is really what God intended from this particular passage. And, I mean, you know I've been in, in Mark the last little while and, and um, was reading back in chapter 5 and 6 a couple weeks ago and I got to this passage in chapter 7, and I'd like to just read it for you, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. And then I, there's a parallel reference in Matthew that I'd like to read as well that we can do a little bit of comparison to. Uh, just as a, a, a hint of background, the beginning of chapter 7, you'll see we have Jesus, and he's, I don't want to say arguing, but debating with the Pharisees and the scribes. They've come to him and are critiquing him on what his disciples are doing and this whole um, what, is, what is appropriate to eat, how are they not living according to the law, uh, and he's, he's really debating on them and what, at least in my Bible at the top of the page, it says um, debating on ceremonialism. And so after concluding that, and I, I guess I should point out that he was at the... He, a little earlier, it talks about him being by the land of Gennesaret, which would be right around the Sea of Galilee. So he's around the Sea of Galilee, and we then start in verse 24. It says, From thence he arose, and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. I'm just going to pause for a quick second. The... Tyre and Sidon is an area north of Galilee, north of um, 
Nazareth, where Jesus, we know Jesus was most commonly working in Galilee, Nazareth, around the Sea of Galilee, kind of had a a fairly local uh, ministry. Surely lots of people came to him. Yes, he went down to Jerusalem, um, went to Bethany and all those different places. But primarily when we read about him, he was in Nazareth and Galilee in in that region. This is about 50 miles north. This is Gentile land. This is not in his normal path, or at least from what we can read. So we'll keep going. Verse 26. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she came to the house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. We'll stop with verse 30. Am I the only one that would read that passage and kind of, I mean, it makes, it just makes me uncomfortable. This seems far too harsh of an interaction for Jesus. I mean, imagine, let's just put it in common, common English, in, in common vernacular. Jesus has gone 50 miles outside of his comfort zone, or not, not, maybe not comfort zone, but out of his normal path, and is clearly trying to have some time away or peace or something. He said that he went into a house and so that no man would know it, but he could not be hid. And a certain woman, a mother, a young mother comes who has a young daughter that had an unclean spirit and heard that he was there and came and fell at his feet, begging, comes and falls at his feet. It says that she was a Greek, she was a, 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 a Gentile woman, and she besought him that he would cast the devil out of his daughter. And the way the mark records it, Jesus says unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. There's a fair number of mothers in the room. You pose a question to Christ. Would you please heal my daughter? Actually, as I'm looking at it, there's a fair number of mothers of daughters in the room. There's a fair number of fathers of daughters. You ask Jesus, would you heal my daughter? You fall at his feet. You beg him, would you please heal my daughter? And he says, it's better that the food would go to the children first before we feed the dogs. He just called your daughter a dog. I know the reaction of, of, I can't say I know the reaction of all of you mothers, but I know most of you well enough that there would be a response to that comment. And so as I'm reading this, and this is a very short passage, and I'm thinking to myself, like, this doesn't make sense. Certainly there's something in his inflection. Certainly there's something that I'm missing from this. When he continues, unrelenting, the woman continues and she says, Yes, Lord. Yep. Yet the dogs under the table, even the dogs under the table, 
Even my daughter under the table deserves to have some crumbs from the master's table. And Jesus says, For this saying, go thy way, the devil has gone out of thy daughter. Because you said it, go back home, the devil has gone out of your daughter. And the story ends that she goes home and sees this. I really struggled with that, and I'm, I'm wondering and looking back and forth. And so, I, I, thankfully, thankfully, this is a passage that there's a parallel scripture in Matthew. And if anything from this, this message this morning, it, what I was, was taking away in, in kind of preparing it in my study was there, there are some bullet takeaways. It's not going to be monumental theolo- theological things. That's not my forte anyways. But some, even just study tact- or, not tactics, um, tools, in understanding a little bit about how each of the gospel writers wrote things. And I, I found this a couple weeks ago as I was studying in Mark. Mark is very action-related. The next passage in Mark is Jesus running, not running, Jesus going back to Galilee, crossing the Sea of Galilee, going into Decapolis again, and casting out more demons. He likes to record miracles, healings, you know, action-related things. And he's very pointed in the way that he describes things. Immediately, instantly, at the same time. Everything is very action-related. Matthew, on the other hand, John, kind of the same way. Luke, also, very detail-oriented. Very, um, very much more descriptive in, in the interactions that take place and and. Some of the things that Mark records are not even in the other Gospels because Mark's version of things is like two or three verses long and the other Gospel writers are five and six and sometimes a whole chapter long. And so if we flip to Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, in this case it's not that much longer, but the interaction made me sleep much better when I read it. Verse 21, Matthew 15. Jesus went thence, and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, same as we got in Mark. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. I'm going to stop and start a lot. I'm sorry. What's different about these two passages? In Mark, we have... A woman came, her daughter was grievously vexed of a devil, she fell at Jesus' feet begging. In this case, we get a first-hand account. We get a quotation of what's actually happening. We have the woman's words to Jesus, and they are completely, they're not completely different. The way that the story is told to us lends a completely different tone and, and, and emotion to it. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Right out of the gate, this mother is acknowledging you are the Messiah. This Gentile woman is making the same claim and the same proclamation that the people do a couple chapters forward when we see Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, thou, uh, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling him the son of David. That was a, that was a messianic calling or description or proclamation. And so here, right away, she's putting him in his, in his correct position. My daughter's grievously vexed with the devil. Then it gets interesting. But he answered her not a word, 
Jesus is quiet. He, he doesn't say a thing. He sits there. He sits still silently. His disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said unto and he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. A completely different emotion or reaction that we would have by reading this passage, I would propose. Some takeaways, just some, some pieces to, to more maybe magnify here. It's interesting, in the other passage, we have very little interaction between the woman and Jesus. It's, it's, it's almost like not a comic strip in terms of anything comedic, but in the he said and she said and back and forth. It's very quick. But in this one, we have a pause. We have, Jesus, we have this woman coming here begging and pleading, falling at Jesus, calling him the Messiah and laying at his feet, and he's quiet. The disciples, as good advisors would do, are reacting to this quickly. He just went into this house. He was trying to be quiet. He was trying to get away. He was trying to be on his own, not bothered by anyone else. Here's this woman, this Gentile woman. We came all the way out of Galilee so that we could get away from everybody. And here's somebody bothering us here. You know what? Let's, let's just ask her to go away. And Jesus' reaction is interesting. I it, he, it doesn't say that he is addressing her. It just says that he says, so I'm assuming to address everyone, I am sent, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's still confusing. I don't know if I follow or understand this completely, but we, we get this sense that he's, he's, his true mission, or his initial mission, his primary mission was to, to preach the gospel and, and to save um, the house of Israel. But he had gone outside of that, that area. He had gone outside of that mission field. And I, I get the sense that he's even pointing out that, yes, that's the mission, but I, I'm here for a purpose as well. And then they came, excuse me, then she reacts to this. She reacts to that, maybe keying on the fact that she, was, she had already recognized him as the Messiah. She had already worshipped him. And she was really diving in for a second effort here. And she says that she came and she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And then the toughest phrase. It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. At the time, Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs. That was common knowledge. You can Google that anywhere. So as anybody that's listening to this, they're taking away from this that Jesus is saying, you're not valuable enough because my message and my mission is for my people, for my children, for the children of Israel. And you're just a dog. 
Now, if you look in the Amplified and a bunch of other translations pull this out too, it, it softens it a little bit and says that, um, I should have brought my phone up here. It says that uh, it's not worthy to be given to little dogs or to puppies. When you take that, the tone maybe sounds that it was a little more sensitive. But this is where we don't have the benefit and the blessing of hearing the inflection in Christ's voice as he's making these comments. We can't, we have to take what we know about the Lord and what we can read and put together to develop what, what the emotion and the, um, the mood of that moment was. And so there is, there's truth there. I mean, it, it, the truth of the message was that his mission was to go to the Jews. And he makes the comment, I believe now looking back at it, in order to draw something else out of her, to draw out a, a, a more aggressive measure of faith. Because she says, truth, Lord, you're right, you're right. But the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Even the crumbs that would fall from your message, Lord. I don't, even, I don't need a whole loaf of bread. In a couple of, passage, in a couple of verses, you're going to feed the 5,000 with loaves and fishes. I don't even need that. I just need the little bits of crumbs that will fall from your table, and that will be enough for my daughter to be healed. I think of the reactions that people have. When somebody... When you come, when you come with a, a, a request... And it is smackdown. Like shut down like you couldn't imagine. Jesus' comment, calling your daughter a dog. You came with a request to heal your daughter, and he calls her a dog. Little puppy. Okay, we all love little puppies. But in the grand scheme of things, a dog is a dog. Jesus says, your daughter's a dog. Enough said. What? Maybe it's fight or flight reaction. Maybe that's what it, what it is. How many of us would have the faith to double down and say, yeah, yes, yes, Lord. But even the dogs just need a crumb. I mean, it would have been amazing if she would have referenced a mustard seed, right? Then to tie together faith of a mustard seed kind of a thing. Because the reaction, the response that he has, and I, I just a mile, imagine a smile coming across his faith as he says, Oh woman, great is thy faith. Nobody else that I can find, nobody else in Scripture got that response. We had, thy faith has made thee whole, go in faith, be it according to thy faith. But Jesus never said to anybody else, great is thy faith. He told Peter, on this rock I'm going to build my church. Didn't get any acknowledgement like great is thy faith. After being smacked down, shut down, pushed down to that level emotionally, to have the perseverance, to have the faith, to have the confidence that you know what, Lord? I know I'm not supposed to be here. I know I'm not. But just a crumb of your blessing is enough to heal my daughter. That's the kind of faith that gets the master to come back to you and say, 
Great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from the very hour. It's a simple, there's a simple, simple little story. And a, the message that I take, take away for it for myself, as I read one passage versus the other, there were a couple of things that, that just jumped out to me as, as being important for me to watch out for. Um, and one of them is, be careful how I read things. Um, be careful how I read things in Scripture. I hope... I hope I don't, I don't know if I do or it doesn't really matter. One of our children, I'll put it that way, one of our children is incredibly expressive. Actually, I'll put it this way. One of our, one of our children talks like Mark and one of our children talks like Matthew. And I get very impatient with Matthew because the story is, well, Mr. So-and-so said this, and then Mrs. So-and-so answered back. And then, like, this morning, there was a small occurrence that happened up in an area of the house. Okay, Ellie. Is, you, yes, Ellie, this is fine. I'm, I'm going to tell the story. Ellie tells stories with a level of detail that often has Daddy very impatient. When I get home from work, I ask how the day was. I get three reactions. Good, good. Well, let me tell you. And it's to the point where at the parent-teacher Zoom conference that we had, we had to tell the teacher that we know more about Mrs. Dennis than any teacher any of our children have had because Mrs. Dennis is incredibly expressive herself and tells stories from her childhood. She's retiring, so she's a little checked out. And so she's telling stories about her kids and how things unfolded. And Ellie is encyclopedic in the way that she remembers and recalls these things to us. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a firefighter by trade when it comes to working. And I have, I have to put things out on a fast basis. I don't need the detailed version. I need the Cliff Notes version. I listen to audio books instead of sitting down and reading the book. I need it faster than that in my mind. And so sometimes when the story is coming out about some crafting beads fell out of her closet this morning, and she's describing to me how this happened. Well, I was in my closet, and I moved this box, and I then moved that box, and I know, and I know the point is something up there needs to be cleaned up, but I'm just, what is it? How do we get there? That's Matthew. But you know what? When I read the story in Matthew this morning, that's the one that taught me something. Not to say there's anything wrong with Mark. I would like Mark to include some more details. Ethan, I'd like to know more about the day. I'd like to have a little bit more detail then. It was good. I caught a touchdown at recess. That's the big... You know, he's action-related or action-focused. What happened? Who scored? What, you know, this... I won't bother Max with it right now. But these two different examples, we, we get the complete message of the day out of it. But we need a teaching moment in different places, right? When Jesus was trying to, when, 
When the gospel writers were trying to talk about the gospel as the good news, the good news to Mark was, let me give you all of the highlights. I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but this, I, I, Mark is the sports center top 10 gospel writer. He gives you all of the amazing, spectacular things. And then the other gospel writers have to do the, sorry ladies, this is a myth. It's the 30 for 30. They're going into the, to the real details. They're digging into the emotions of it, telling you about who the characters are and the backstory and how all these things happen. Problem is, I like SportsCenter Top 10 and I don't often have time enough for the more docuseries style things. But if we don't read the docuseries, if we don't focus on what the other details were, we get kind of a mixed up message. If I just read for you Matthew or Mark 7 this morning, Jesus would seem heartless. Jesus would seem heartless, harsh, and contradictory to the rest of what we record in Scripture. And so we've got to be very, very careful with that because just by virtue of where he was, we can see that that wasn't the case. The second piece of this was for me, Jesus went 50 miles plus or minus. I know I have issues with distance, but I think I got this one right. 50 miles outside of his normal comfort zone for one Gentile woman. His mission was to his family, the Jewish people. He wasn't, that, that's where he was, was, was called and was supposed to be. That's where his mission field was. And for some reason, he went 50 miles out of his way to reach one particular person. We need to be ready for that. We need to be aware of our surroundings enough, in tune with the Spirit enough to say that there's some place that I'm supposed to go that's out of my comfort zone, out of my normal path of activities, so that I can be in the place I'm supposed to be at the right time. And recognize that I might be there for rest and relaxation, and it doesn't matter because when somebody comes in faith and needs to be falling before the gospel message, nothing's going to detract them. And there might even be other believers around saying, you know, don't worry about it. Keep them quiet. Just take them away. It's not, they're not supposed to be here. And we have to recognize that just like Jesus did, he stayed there. He ministered to her. And at the end of the day was able to say to her and nobody else, great is thy faith. How about Christ's silence? This is the other one. Sometimes when the Lord is silent, it's not a no. When we're asking God in faith, if we don't get an answer, it's not necessarily a no. It's not licensed to jump out and do something crazy, but it is licensed, as we can see right here, to pursue him that much more aggressively. Hold God to his promises. If he said something, if it's contained in Scripture as a promise, and we're in faith asking, for his direction. Don't let him go unanswered. Doesn't mean it's going to come quick. This lady had to wait a little while. But I guarantee you, that moment of his silence and the disciples coming after her and saying, get her out of here. She's not supposed to be here. That felt like a lifetime. Could have been five minutes, could have been 20, could have been a day. But it felt like a lifetime. Because he was silent and she was begging. And yet... 
She showed greater faith than we can see recorded anywhere else because when Jesus said something that should have, I won't smack the pulpit again, but that should have shut down the conversation, she was undeterred. Absolutely undeterred. And came back with a, with a, not with just a pleading, not just with a, oh, say it ain't so, but pointed to exactly what he said. No, 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 I'll hold you to that. Certainly, no, we are not children of Israel. We're not children of the promise. But we're certainly worthy to the crumbs that would fall from the master's table. We can't be afraid to pursue like that. I think perhaps it's because we live in a time when things are so easy and life is so easy. And dare I even say that faithfulness seems easy. And I think that's just a tool of the wicked one to distract us and to lull us into a false sense of security and, and complacency to think that, you know, we can just, that our, our, our spiritual walk and our, our walk of faith will just unfold as it's supposed to. And we don't have to show an intentionality in that. We don't have to show any aggressiveness in that. We don't really have to worry about the things outside of us and weighing in, you know. We can even take, and I do, I, I preface this with, I, can, I do take comfort and excitement in what I read in the headlines about the, dis, the dialogue going back and forth at the Supreme Court, that there, there may be movement on this abortion case. I take great courage in that. But I better not rest on the fact that things are changing and that the waves, that I don't have to work any harder, that I don't have to work less hard because things are better on the outside. Just look around. Things are no better on the outside. They can be if we are all diligent and faithful and intentional. And it's not something we usually say in spiritual settings, but aggressive. I don't think you can describe this mother's approach as anything but aggressive. And maybe we're conditioned not to be aggressive. I, honestly, I would say Men are, it's acceptable, uh, sociologically, that's not the right word, Um, societally, this is where somebody with a a word-a-day calendar would do better at this, whatever it is. In, in, In polite society, it's more polite for men to be aggressive than women to be aggressive, right? That's kind of how we say that. But I don't think there was anything passive about this interaction. There was nothing... um, small or quiet about this particular interaction. And I think we all need to take courage in that. It wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't abusive or or belligerent or anything like that. But there's nothing wrong, and frankly, it's exactly where we should be, to claim the promises that we've been given and be obedient in exercising that in our lives. And if we're not, and we're not seeing the reactions, we're not seeing the, the growth, the reward, not the right word per se, but the, we'll call it the exercise of that measure of faith. We can't blame it on anybody but ourselves. We cannot blame it on anyone but ourselves. We have this example. Again, from the outset, I'm not, 
I'm going to stick to the Matthew passage this time, just so the details are there. But right from the beginning, with her interaction with Christ, she jumps right at him. Thou son of David, have mercy on me, O Lord. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Humility and acknowledgement as to who he was, where she was coming from, and what she was expecting of him. She was expecting the Messiah to act. And in our lives, that's exactly where we are too. We need to be completely reliant on him and completely submissive to his will, but recognize that there are things in God's will that we can claim as promises. We may not know the specific details of how something's going to unfold. She didn't know how he was going to heal her daughter. She didn't know exactly that he was going to. But she knew that she had the power to ask. She knew that she had the right to ask. And so perhaps for us, maybe we can take these examples today and to, as we, we step out into tomorrow, to one, be willing to be aggressive, to recognize that we need to sometimes go outside of our comfort zone. Maybe it means more than 50 miles. Maybe it means more than five feet. Who knows? To be patient and persistent when God is, is, is pausing and being silent, to know that that's not necessarily a no, but that we can be looking for his direction in our lives. And then lastly, to be that mother, to be aggressive in our pursuit of his will for our lives and undeterred by anything that might stand, that might seem to stand in our way. May the Lord bless these words.